This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 37 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everyone. This is sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show, The Sports Psychology Hour. I'm really looking forward to spending the next hour with you because today I've got a guest in studio with me. His name's Earl Watson. He's from Kansas City. If you know basketball, you know Earl. He's been around a long time, played here in Kansas City, grew up, went on to UCLA, played there all four years, then went on to the NBA for quite a while, 13 seasons, ended up coaching as well. He's been kind enough to join us today. You know, this show is about you, it's about mindsets, it's about attitudes, it's about sports psychology. I've been in practice for 28, or excuse me, I've been on the radio for 28 years, been in practice in my 39th year as a sports psychologist here in the Kansas City area, and I've had the privilege to work with a lot of great people and interview a lot of great people on this show, and I'm really looking forward to this interview today because Earl has a perspective that's a little bit different than a lot of people. He's been around, he understands both coaching and playing, he understands people, I've gotten to know him through a good friend of mine, Emily Towner, who will be joining us on our last part of the show as a therapist herself as well in the mental health area. We're going to talk about mental health and sports. You know, Earl, before we get started here about you, I've been doing this a long time. And last year, Kevin Love came out and had an anxiety attack in a game, had no idea what was going on, got hospitalized before they figured out what was going on. And then all of a sudden now, people are talking about mental health and sports, especially in the NBA. Now, you played 13 years. You played at UCLA for four years. You started the whole time. I mean, I, I went to a game at Pauley Pavilion a couple of years ago. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I got to see everything that goes on there. You've been through so much. You, I, As we were talking earlier, one of my favorite books, as they call me, coached by John Wooden, you didn't need to read the book because you knew the man. So the whole mental side of sport Okay, tell us how important that is, especially about psychological health. Uh, psychological health is important for not just sport, it's for life. Um, as you journey through life, um, you're going to have obstacles, you're going to be hit, you're going to be mentally rattled. And professional athletes are probably some of the most fragile people in the world mentally, and they just don't expose it because it gives your competition a chance to give an edge on you, and you don't want to give that away. But literally, we play in front of people. We succeed or fail in front of thousands and millions. And we're talked about the next day for not succeeding. <laughs> like, you know, imagine being at work and there's a camera on you at all times and there's 20,000 people in your office watching, waiting for you to make one mistake. You can't erase it and start over. And that's what it is. It's intense. But when I was the head coach of the Phoenix Suns at the age of 36, um, second youngest coach ever in the history of the NBA, I actually started um, emphasizing and I brought in a mental health coach and I brought in a woman purposely because I knew most players were only vulnerable around people that remind them of their mothers in my sport and she has such a major impact on our players that those relationships went beyond just basketball went into life and 
you know, if the mind isn't right and the mind isn't healthy, the body can't follow. And that's always the first priority. Well, I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind will be the one who will come out on top. One of my favorite words when I work with people and when I work with teams is the word balance. And balance doesn't mean everything's equal. It means there's a place for everything. You know, the mental health, when I started working 39 years ago, people looked at sports psychology as, quite frankly, a bunch of BS. I was even told by the athletic director at a local college, I don't believe in witchcraft and hocus pocus. Now we're seeing in the NBA the implementation of psychologists, mental health professionals working with players. You've seen the benefit of it. You played at a school that became famous with John Wooden as the head coach. John Wooden maybe is the greatest psychologist of all time, in my opinion, as far as a coach, because he implemented all these psychological aspects. And then Phil Jackson has, has taken that over in his coaching. The book Sacred Hoops is my second favorite book because he talks so much about the mental part. When you get two athletes out there playing, how much does the mental aspect play a role for you? When you played, for example, let's let's talk about you. When you played, how much did the psychological side play a role for you? Well, I've been very fortunate to spend a lot of time with Coach Wood in my four years at UCLA. I would go visit him in his condo. We never talked about basketball. We never talked about winning. We talked about poetry. We talked about uh, love. What does love mean? We talked about leadership, and we talked about um, how he would write his wife love, love poems every Sunday, fold them up and put them underneath his bed because she had been passed away at that time for maybe 15 to 20 years. So he implemented something deeper than winning and at the end he will wink at you and you realize you learned everything about running a team. And those talks were impactful from the ages of 18 to 22. Then, as I continue to move forward in my career, I played for some amazing coaches and just something to jump out to me or Hubie Brown, Jerry Sloan, um, played for Jerry West, Larry Bird. And and these people were so impactful. And I wanted to figure out what separated them from other coaches. And it was never the X's and O's. It was never the knowledge. It was always they connected to you as a human being first. So when you really look back and you think how important is um, mental health and you think about the connection with people, Phil Jackson, which I read Sacred Hoops, and I live by this three things he said, how he teaches, how he connects. It's love, nurture, teach. Love, nurture, teach. And that is so impactful when you talk about sports and you talk about a time in our country where youth sports is so driven and we push our kids so hard and we don't understand whether or not as tough as we were. And then you be like, oh, it's social media. And what is social media? You know, it's different. It's a different time. Every generation believes the last generation or this generation wasn't as tough as the last generation. There's quotes of Coach Wooden saying the exact same thing in the 60s. Right? So, like, we have this understanding, and I'm a big Ram Dass fan, Be Here Now, which is Steve Jobs' favorite book. And I wanted to know why was it his favorite book? And it's literally Be Here Now, literally in the moment. And that's his thing is like just being in the present, just feeling and understanding and not complicating things. So you definitely right. You have to have this balance and you also have to have this mindfulness. And I think the greatest coaches are teachers who happen to be mindful of everything about each individual. UB Brown will come to me and I will be quick to ask him a question about basketball. He'll tell me, stop. How's Earl and Estella? Estella. Those are my, that's my mom and dad. My dad and mom. Like, oh, they're good. 
how are your brothers? Oh, coach, they're good. And I, in return, I ask, how's your family? Oh, they're good. And we'll talk, and he'll kiss me on the cheek. Then he'll be like, what do you want to know about basketball? So it's the human connection first that really breaks down barriers and tr- have people become vulnerable to each other. Well, that's why, you know, I, for years I've said a great coach is a great psychologist, and a good and, and a bad coach needs a sports psychologist because I think that the mental aspect and the human aspect is is really what it's all about. I, I tell a lot of the young athletes I work with now who are high school athletes who are have the dream of playing somewhere in college and whatever their sport is. Your grades are important, your sport's important, but mo- what's most important is your character, who you are, what you're about. I said because I think college coaches today, as much as they want somebody who's talented, they want somebody who's a good person, who's got values, who's got, you know, philosophies about life about being straightforward and honest do you believe in that when i first started coaching in the nba i started in the g league i had four options when i retired from the nba 34 years old my first option was to help um run a hedge fund company um an amazing guy who owned 400 companies he thought i was wasting my time in sports he was like you could be way more successful and make way more money doing helping me run this hedge fund company and to me, I had no connection to that because money doesn't drive me. The second thing was doing TV work like like I'm doing now, like analyst work with sports and basketball. And the third thing was um, work for the Spurs. And the Spurs was only offering me $10,000 a year for this job. And it was in the G League and it was a three-day interview. And I had to sit back and I had to reflect. And my life has been very blessed in meeting good people. And it took me back a year prior when I was sitting on Hollywood Boulevard eating a sub sandwich. And this guy was pacing back and forth, back and forth in this Hollywood Boulevard. I'm thinking, what's next? This could be chaotic. And he and he literally was telling me, like, I need you to meet my boss. And his boss was Bob Igar, CEO of Disney. And, the, and when I met him, what he told me impacted me more than anything. He told me that, do what you love, no matter how much it pay, and eventually the wealth will come with how you impact people and through financial. This is great. I love talking with you because you're giving words of advice about life more so than basketball. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me this morning is Earl Watson, MBA great, former MBA coach. We're going to continue our interview after the break. We're going to get into Earl's career, what he's doing now, and just his philosophy, which I think makes so much sense. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Well, again, everyone, I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. This is the Sports Psychology Hour, and today I'm very privileged to have in studio with me Earl Watson, former NBA great, former NBA coach. We're talking about his philosophy about life, about coaching, about people, and I think this first segment was so informative about what Earl shared about himself. But tell everybody what you're doing now, Earl, where you're at, what's going on with your life. Well, when I we all get fired, right? That's life. I've never been fired in my life. I was fired at the age of 38 from the Phoenix Suns. Um, it was the, you know what? When, when I got fired, I told them thank you. 
And the owner looked at me and was like, for what? I was like, because you're sending me exactly where I'm supposed to be. I believe in destiny. Like, the hardest thing you can be is in a relationship that's not purposeful, right? Yeah. And when it breaks, it sends you exactly where you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be in relationships with. And that's business, that's love, that's intimacy, that's every relationship, that's worse, everything in life. And so I went back to school. I literally went back to UCLA on campus, took classes in class with 18 to 22 year olds. And were they, were they freaking out? Hey, yeah. hey um, dude, that's where Watson sitting over there. I was getting like, it's just a different way of learning. It's a different generation, a different mindset. But eventually we bonded and they kind of loved my stories like because they aspired to be. And with me, I just was aspiring to be like them again and learn a new way of college education, which is completely different. It's all through the Internet, right? Even your syllabus and everything is online, even in class. And I just graduated in June of 2019. Got back into congratulations doing, on that. Thank you. It was very difficult. Got back into doing because you say it's not a, it's no gym classes at UCLA. Let me let me just put it out of the way. This is real school. One of the top students in the world competing. Wait a minute. There's no surfing classes it, there. We don't have that. <laughs> we don't have that. Maybe, maybe a USC, but not a UCLA. Oh, right. Boy, oh, <laughs> the boy, shots got to go. Like the that. shots got to go. But now I'm back doing NBA TV. Um, I'm the CEO of a startup company called Frasier, which is entertainment engaging. It launches in March. And I invested in my mom is Mexican. My dad is black. I'm a partner in this group called Latitude. And we do conferences year round. We do a major conference every year in August, early September, late August. And it's South by Southwest for Latinos. And that's real estate. That's music, that's food, that's television, that's sports, everything across the board, just kind of engaging and embracing, you know, just this narrative of doing positive things in diverse communities. So I've been very blessed. I said before, I'm kind of like Forrest Gump. Like I've had all these major different experiences, you know, start the most games in the history of UCLA consecutively. Uh, the first NBA coach ever from UCLA which is crazy to think that never happened. That is crazy to think when you think of the names of the people who went to school there and yeah. what they've accomplished. Yeah, I'm the first head coach ever from UCLA in the NBA. I'm also the first Latino head coach in the history of the NBA. So you have all these things, and I'm doing television, and I have a preschool in Kansas City, Kansas, which I'm financially involved in, not by debt, but just because I choose to be. So you have all these things going on, and my purpose is just to... I want to be an artist and I want to help people. And more than ever, sport has always been my therapy. And when I stopped playing, I realized I needed a real therapist more because I can no longer go out and, you know, just release it on the court or release it through my, my skill and my style of play. Now I need to start working on the inside, like my mind, because the outer has been kind of floating me along this entire time throughout my life. Obviously, physically, you're very talented, or you wouldn't have made it to the NBA. How important, however, was the psychological aspect of that? Because, you know, I've worked with basketball players my whole career. I was KU's first sports psychologist back in the 80s. I worked when Larry Brent, with the team when Larry Brown was there, sat at the end of the bench, worked with players. We worked a lot on visualization and free throw shooting and confidence and mental preparation and things like that. And we always talked about being grounded, being grounded as a person. Because if you could, you could handle the fame, the fortune, and things like that. 
How important does that become in terms of what you've had to had to deal with in your life? Let, let me for all the, the sports fanatics, let me touch on that Larry Brown, you know, KU run in the mid-80s. Larry Brown was the head coach. Bob Hill was an assistant. Calipari was on that staff. Ed Manning. Ed Manning was on that staff. R.C. Buford was a student assistant. Calipari and R.C. were the grad assistants when I was there. Yep, and you also had Alvin Gentry come through there. That staff might have been one of the best basketball staffs in basketball history of any level. So I just want to throw that out there. People don't realize that. That's the power of KU basketball, which obviously I didn't choose that school. But moving forward. (laughs) We uh, won't talk about that right now. (laughs) but, But moving forward. I mean, um, I, 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 talk, I talk to kids all the time, and they go, parents want to know, what was it? I, you're going to be addicted in life to certain things. Everyone has an addiction to something. My addiction was to basketball. Like, Why? Why? How did that happen? I think because of the trials and tribulations of my life, I needed an escape to put me in a different reality. And through that reality, it created imagination. And that imagination happened to be through a round basketball where I could visualize myself playing and doing great things. And then I started picking up a pen and paper and writing out plays on all of my schoolwork in the third grade. So that imagination led me to be who I am today. And you're going to have major challenges in life, right? It's going to do two things to you. You choose one. It's a choice. Is either going to put you in the darkest place or it's going to hurt so bad you're going to find the light. And my light was literally through sport of basketball, through self-expression. When I wore that jersey, it didn't matter what was going on at home or in my community. I became almost on stage, became a different person. So what was the difference between success and failure for you in in that in that medium? To me, success and failure is failure is when you give up. Success is when you keep trying. I never made all state. What was wrong? I, the people who chose. <laughs> <laughs> I never made all state. Okay, let but me, I was the seventh ranked point guard in the country. Let me ask you a question there, because one of the things that I work with so many kids on is this whole importance. I always talk about. In fact, I just had a session today with a college baseball player. He says, "I want to be the best player on my team." I said, "No, that's not the thing you should be doing." You need to be the best player you should be. If you try to be the best player on the team or focusing too much on beating out other people, you need to focus on what's it going to take for me to be the best I can be. What do you think of that? I think that's a good motto. My motto is um, I want to be 1% better than yesterday in everything. So it's about self-improvement. 1%. Yeah, but it's about self-improvement, yes. not about the comparison game. Because when you get too caught up in the comparison game, then, you're focus- I, then you focus on results and you focus on the effort. I always say... FOE versus FOR. FOE is focused on effort instead of FOR focusing on results. Yeah, I mean, you know, Coach Coach Wooden's favorite saying is when you when you focus on results, you achieve the game. Right? You can play the wrong way and win. You can play the right way and lose. But you gotta be focused on just being one percent better and being be here now, Ram Das. Be just be capture the moment, do your best, and that those moments will add up to something positive. Because here's the thing, if you play a sport, and I don't care as you play basketball, golf, bowling, swimming, tennis, doesn't matter, you will succeed and you will fail. No one's perfect, everyone screws up, so how you learn to deal with those failures will get you to get to the success. I love when I succeed and I get excited when I fail. 
because I know it's time to grow, and I'm excited about always improving and growing. Well, this is why I'm so glad you're here today talking about this. This is a great message, I think, for so many people to hear. Our shows are podcasts around the country, and I know a lot of people, actually people around the world listen to these podcasts, so I think people are going to pick up this message. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me today is Earl Watson, former NBA great NBA coach. And joining us in our next segment will be Emily Towner, who's a therapist who's worked with Earl, who will talk with us about these things. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. Having a great interview today, a great discussion with NBA great Earl Watson. He's here talking about his career, talking about his philosophy, which I think is, is really incredibly similar with the things I've talked about on this show for years, and I love this conversation. And, and joining us now is Emily Towner, a psychotherapist, who's known Earl for a long time and has worked with him and agreed to come on the show and sort of share a little bit about their relationship and how mental health has been important for Earl and how Emily has helped him. So, Emily, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. So tell us, Earl, about what, what has Emily done to help you out? You know, we, we talk about – I've talked for years about what I do on this show. A lot of people look at going to talk to, quote, a shrink means you're weak or something's wrong with you. I obviously don't feel that way. And I've tried to promote the importance of discussion and talking about issues. So share your story with us. I don't think it's anything wrong with being weak. I don't think it's anything wrong with being fragile. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, um, when you know your limitations, you go beyond them. That's Albert Einstein. You know, so uh, mentally I knew my limitations. I knew I needed, you know, support. Wait, how did you know your limitations? How did you figure that out? Uh, you feel it. You know, the minute you become one with your emotions and your feelings and you know, this it's like this frequency in life that you can feel the rough times. It's always like me. I'm I'm a basketball player, former. If I knew I couldn't shoot, I went and got a shooting coach. If I knew I hated need to be a three point shooter, I shot more reps from the three. If I knew I needed to work on my ball handling, I would get gloves and work on my ball handling. But excuse me, you were smart enough and intellectually oriented enough to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But how many guys out there don't, or guys and girls, men and women, don't do that because their egos are too big. They think, oh, I'm better. I don't need to do that. Oh, I think I think it's, it's this old saying, no one can tell you anything you don't already know. They're just acknowledging it in you. And it's up to you to acknowledge it for yourself and be mindful. And so for me, like when I really got started to seeking you know, um, therapy from, from Emily, it was when my brother had got murdered. And I and here I am the night before my first draft as an NBA head coach, typing up a letter to the judge on what I wanted to say at trial. And then I'm going to the next day and I'm doing my first NBA draft. Those are extreme emotions that I needed to process. How'd you handle that? Um, therapy and just being 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 weak, being vulnerable. The the weakest people have the strongest bounce back and you were okay with that weren't you i'm perfectly okay with that 
<laughs> How many? Okay, so let me ask you a question. It's the reason why I have a financial advisor. I'm weak in, in, in managing my money. I need the best people around me to be successful. But how many guys have you known throughout your career in the NBA, 13 years in the NBA, how many guys did you know who would never have admitted that who needed that? I, I don't know because it's not talked about, and I wanted to be the That's first at its time to express it. And as a coach, I express – first got to express love before you can have anyone open up, and that's to be unconditional love. And then you got to really learn to love yourself. I say this all the time. You wake up every morning, we brush our teeth, we get ready for work, we take a shot, and we never look in the mirror and acknowledge that person. We become robotic to being immune to acknowledging who we are. We 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 are raised to tell other people I'm sorry, but we never look in the mirror and tell ourselves I'm sorry or I love you. Like you have to have that. And people think Floyd Mayweather is crazy, <laughs> right? But Floyd Mayweather spends 10 to 15 minutes every morning Tell himself he's the best. There's impact to that. You know, there, there's some genius in all crazy. There's impact to that. So for me, Emily came into my life as my therapist and she saved me similar to the way her mom came into my life as a team sponsor when I was in middle school and saved me in middle school. I dropped out of middle school. I dropped out in the eighth grade. I didn't go to school from January to almost March. How'd you get away with that? I mean, just a lot was going on in my life. You know, did the school come after you? They the school, you? the school actually called my mom, and the basketball coach called my mom. And was like, "Oh, I'm, it's, I'm disappointed." I was in the seventh grade. It's like I'm disappointed. Oh, Watson transferred to another school, and she was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> my mom was going to school. It's like my mom was going to work at seven in the morning. My dad was going to work at five. No one knew I was just staying home. I was in a depressed state because everything that was going on around me and in my family that we couldn't control that wasn't intermediate. It was just my brother was the first DNA case in the state of Kansas to be exonerated of rape. That was impact. We didn't have any money. That was that killed our family. So for me, I just, I'm 12, 13 years old. I just froze. And her mom took me and would take me on the weekends and got me back. Right. Help my mom. But my mom needed a break. And my dad and she saved me at an early age, and we always repeat what we know, right? So I reached back out to the family. I found Emily, and from that point on, she's been just a wealth of, you know, just support in my life mentally. So what have you done, Emily, to help him? What have I done? I think it's more of, I think, given our history, our relationship's a little bit different in the sense of, you know, I know Earl's history. Earl's familiar to me. I've known him for a long time as a child. I know my mom's role and then also my little brother. Um, and so there was a group of them in Kansas City, a group of really good basketball players, young players who had these horrible things happen to them. And But I didn't really know any different except they played a lot of basketball um, outside. Do you remember that? Yeah. I yeah. Do. So, um, so he came to you as a therapist. Yeah, and so Earl and I, yeah, and okay. and we stayed in contact. And then my parents, I mean, they they love him, they love him. Um, and so he came into, you know, kind of back into my world in that way, and in in a sense of helping him, he vents and bounces off ideas. But like you have noted, I mean, he's extremely emotionally intelligent. He is vulnerable, um, which is a strength, a huge strength, and you most, have to be most macho male athletes which let's face it nba basketball players are macho guys mm-hmm. okay or at least that's the connotation they try to project yeah doesn't mean they are but they try to be that way yeah 
Absolutely. And that's the great thing about Earl is he's willing to be vulnerable and say, hey, I messed up or this is where I'm struggling or "Em, what's wrong with me? And it's not even about what's wrong as much as, hey, I, I, I'm recognizing I'm unsettled here or a pattern here or whatever. And he's already touched on a lot of that. Like, that's kind of where he and I banter back and forth. Right. And. I mean, that's awesome and refreshing, and especially in today's world. Like you said, the NBA players, I mean, they're idolized, and you nailed it on the head. Imagine failing in front of everybody. You don't have a choice. I well, mean, that, you're in this glass bubble. And that's the whole thing with so many of the professional athletes I've worked with. I've been you know, team psychologist for professional teams and work with professional athletes my whole career. Olympic athletes. I mean, there's no greater stage than the Olympics, and I've been with Olympic athletes who have failed, mm-hmm. and I have I've had to help them get through that because they're on the greatest stage worldwide TV, and they don't accomplish their goals. Yet I've been with some that have, and the and the difference has been the ones that 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 survive all that see the failure as as, as a stage in life, not as a barrier, which you were mentioning earlier, Earl. And that's that's the whole thing I think yeah, Emily, you're sharing absolutely. here is is that obstacles potholes canyons crevices they're part of what we have to deal with all the time in life doesn't matter if you're an athlete you're a therapist you're Mm -hmm. a janitor you're you're a a computer program doesn't matter what you do you're going to have those obstacles and you've got to find ways to overcome that and part of that's talking right earl that's what this is about it's it's, this communication but i wasn't always a kid who communicated i wasn't born with these gifts you know um the first time I spoke in school was probably the third grade. Mm-hmm. First time I started speaking. Because you were scared. I, I used to stutter. You were embarrassed. You were scared. I was in yeah, I was in I was embarrassed. I had a stuttering problem. Well you don't and, have one now. And here I am giving speeches. Like I'm doing keynote speeches in a this you know, you know, a group called NIREP. They called me. I did a keynote speech and they told me, you know, who's going on stage before me. I was like, who it is like President George Bush. I was like, What? <laughs> here I am a kid who stuttered from Kansas. Now giving a keynote speech and President Bush is going before me. I just wanted to meet him. How'd you overcome that? Um, when I realized no one has the answers. None of us do. We're all in a journey like the alchemist, like the book. We're all in a journey and we're figuring it out as we go along. No one has all the answers. And the best way to express yourself is to always speak from the heart because people relate to that no matter race, creed, or color, or religion. You know, this is fascinating, this discussion, because what we're talking about is life. We're not talking about basketball, which is what I hope we would get into today. And the fact is, you've become so successful in, in life. Forget basketball. You were great at basketball, but I see greater things for you and everything you're doing here with the visions that you've got, mm-hmm. partially in part because of who you are. Emily's obviously helped you out with that. And the key thing is this. The mindset, to me, you know, you can be great physically, but if your mind isn't there, it's not going to work. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me today is psychotherapist Emily Towner and NBA great Earl Watson. We're talking about his career, how he's become who he is, and where he's going from here. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Well, again, everyone, I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. We are having a fascinating interview today with former NBA great Earl Watson and psychotherapist Emily Towner, who's worked with Earl and knows him quite well, has known him actually for a long time. 
And, you know, when I have guests on this show, we talk about their careers, what they've accomplished. But this show's a little bit different today because Earl's talking about life. He's talking about the, the, the non-measurable, the non-materialistic values of life that have made him who he is. Not about how many points he scored or how, how he dealt with a pressure free throw under, at the end of the game. He's talking about who he is, which to me is more important about the results we end up with in the athletic, on the athletic fields. So let me, let's, let's shift our conversation to youth sports, Earl. I, I wrote a book, uh, co-author with Kansas City Royals Hall of Famer Jeff Montgomery and Olympic uh, Hall of Fame swim coach Pete Malone called Just Let Him Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through Youth Sports. Our third chapter is entitled Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun. I, I am of the belief, as are my co-authors, that we don't teach kids how to fail very well today. We, we focus so much on winning and results and the, the, the score, and we don't teach, and, I, and I've seen this in my practice forever, that kids come in who are early teens, mid-teens, and they're failing for the first time. Maybe they don't know how to handle it. They don't know what to do because they get yelled at, they get criticized, they get insulted because they're screwing up because they're supposed to win. I think if we teach kids at a younger age that failure is okay, it's part of life, it's part of sport, how do you learn from it, how do you grow from it, that's a better way to, to teach them, and their confidence will be stronger. What do you think about that? I agree with that model, and it's levels to this, because every sport has a different culture and a different group of people that come from a different different financial background. So some I played because I wanted to change my life. There was no going back to my life. Only basketball could get me out because my school books wasn't a par, up to par. We didn't have computers in my high school. I was smart enough to realize this is all I have that can give me an opportunity to change my family generational history forever. Now, my kids play because they just love the game. And it's a difference in that mindset. And for me, you have to teach kids how to fail and how to embrace it and how to get knowledge to improve it. Because success is a part of failing and failing is a part of success. And it can only propel you if you embrace it all with just a learning experience. Like my daughter, you know, you know, loss, lose an opportunity, stay strong. You know, I learned this part from the Spurs. When you want to get better and do, do like, you know, improvement, call it daily vitamins. It's how you present it. It's how it's embraced. And you got to present it in a way where kids actually feel it's going to help them. And I don't believe in yelling. I believe. I'm, I'm glad, excuse me. I'm glad to hear that because that's one of the things. If, if you all listen to this show, you know, one of the things I talk about all the time, it is it, it, I totally disagree with coaches yelling at kids. Teachers don't yell at kids. I mean, it's one thing if you're acting out behaviorally and doing something wrong that way. But you don't yell at a kid for missing a free throw. You don't yell at a kid for striking out. You sit down, look them face to face, pat them on the back, say, let's talk about what you did, how you can learn from that, how you can grow from that. What do you think? Yeah, the first thing you got to think about is the student is only as good as the teacher. Yeah. So well, I say a good coach checks his or her ego at the door because it's not about the coach, it's about the, the athlete. And the second thing is I can never hold you responsible for something I never taught you. And the third thing is if I did teach it, was it efficient? And that I teach you correctly, that I connect to you as a, as a person first before I taught you. And if I did connect and I did teach you, is there repetition in the teaching? Say what you said there at the beginning. I can never teach you what I didn't te teach you. I can never hold you responsible for something I didn't teach you. That would be a great topic for a book. Yeah. That'd be, <laughs> that would be the title. I, I'm dead serious. That would be a great title because let me tell you something. See, 
in my work, when I give talks and I speak to all these people and I'm, and I'm around parents, what I see from so many parents is, is this, this mindset, oh, my, son, my daughter, boy, she's really good. She's eight. Okay, that's great that she's really good. That doesn't mean anything, though, because in two years, she may not be nearly as good as everybody else because the other kids may gr grow fast or whatever. It, it's great that she's good. Now, what is she learning? How is she growing? How are you handling success and failure, right? Don't you agree? No, I agree. My niece is in the seventh grade, and she plays eighth grade, and she has, I guess, people at school, her peers have been, like, you know, pumping her up, mm -hmm. which is great. And I take her into the gym yesterday, and I told her, at first, no one cares. <laughs> You here today, we're going to work. If this is what you really want to do, you have to be committed to this and you have to almost live it, drink it, eat it, imagine it. I, I slept with my basketball yeah. from grade school until I got to UCLA. And when I got to UCLA, I took my basketball. And because I didn't want to be quote unquote weird, Baron <laughs> Davis was my roommate. I put it next to my bed. Well, let me add, that's funny because I slept with my tennis rackets. But I never got to the level you <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I can't, you know, some, you know, but you helping more people than me or differently from me. So you're we all. Let me tell you something. You're helping a lot more people than I am with the speeches and the things you're sharing because of the experience. We're both helping people. We're both but helping you, people. But yeah. you're what this show helps people because a lot of people listen to it. But and more and more people are finding out about it. But what you're doing is because of what you've accomplished and what you haven't accomplished you're giving people the guidance to get there. So so in our last few minutes here, I want to ask you a couple of questions. And Emily, I want you to chime in since you've known him. I want your definition of winning. I want your definition of losing. And I want your definition of self-confidence. So you go first, then Emily will chime in. Okay, my definition of winning is doing the best you can do and playing from your heart and playing with passion. You want my input on that? Yes, ma'am. I think in my input about his, okay, um, absolutely, I think it's about the heart. And I think what Earl's demonstrated forever, or I think the cool, the really, really thing to take away from anything is Earl's created a lifestyle and a way of thinking to apply not just to basketball, but like he said, he slept with his basketball, but that was an object that represented so much more. It was opportunity. It was a future, or it was he could look at it and remember things. It was almost like his own personal guidance anchor. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Now, now, losing, letting circumstances in life take away your hope. That's only when you lose. When you stop believing, your imagination dies. My point is Earl has mastered that one because he has gone through more things than most have in their lives. And on the flip side, he has accomplished more things at the age of 40. Yeah, no, it's 40. just 4D, nothing after that. <laughs> 40, um, more than most, no, more than anybody ever will. Okay. He's a good, the one accomplishment that he's accomplished some may never accomplish in their life. In addition to he's had to carry, I'm sorry, we are a product of things that happened to us and he's been able to overcome that. And if anybody can take away anything, we're look at our Reflections of the way we're raised, our genetics and the environment we're in now. Let me ask this question in relationship to losing. When you played in the NBA and you played at UCLA, did you ever miss a free throw at the end of the game that would have won the game or put the game in OT? Uh, I don't think I ever missed free throws. I think I've had turnovers. And usually when that happened or I feel like I impacted our loss, 
I immediately took responsibility to my team and my coaches. And the next game, I always came out, and it's usually my best games ever. So that became a learning experience, a growth experience, rather than a hindrance and a barrier and an obstacle. Absolutely. Okay, last definition, self-confidence. Self-confidence. For me, self-confidence is um, having faith, to be honest with you, because I can't, I've accomplished so many things and it wasn't because of me. I had teammates that was bigger, stronger, faster. I just always try to have faith. Even when it looked like it was no light in the room, I search until I find the light. And every time I find the light and I had routine in anything, it gave me self-confidence. Self-confidence, I would say, is a work in progress. We're not the same. Earl's not the same person he was when he played for UCLA. He's not the same person he was when he being coached for the Suns. So self-confidence is a, a work in progress. But like he, he mentioned faith, but more so self-confidence is putting one foot in front of the other, but also taking a risk, being vulnerable. That is the biggest, I think, the, the crutch of self-confidence. This has been a fascinating hour. I'd love to have you back again because we could talk about this stuff forever because I, I love your philosophy and your mindset here. So, Emily, if people want to get a hold of you, what's your phone number people like to reach you? Uh, 816-977-2840. Okay, Earl, there are a lot of ways to reach you. What's the best way people can get you? Know, I'm 40, but I act like a millennial. You can reach me on Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> Earl J. Watson. You know, you can find me on Instagram. That's just how I really connect with people. Okay. I, I have one question for him. One thing. Knowing you since you were young, um, how about what name? One thing can you take away from basketball? Unconditional love. There you go. Got it. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hope you enjoyed our show today. You can follow me on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter. <laughs> you got me confused. Follow me on Twitter at, at DRJ Sports Psych. Our shows are podcasted here at Sports Radio 10 WHB. Also, my website, winnersunlimited.com. Send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. You can reach me at 816-561-5556. Our shows are also podcasted on SoundCloud. Have a great week. We're on the Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com. <laughs>